0: You're listening to the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. We cover topics designed to accelerate your global expansion. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic is that I'm going to be introducing you to some of the really great resources that are available to companies expanding international from the United States government. Our fantastic guests today are Bryson Patterson, who is a trade finance specialist at the Small Business Administration, also known as the SBA.gov. And we have Paul Bergman, a director for the United States Export Assistance Center, also from the United States Commerce Department. Welcome, Bryce and Paul, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks a lot, Anka. It's going to be a good, uh, Good, good time, and we, we look forward to sharing some uh, information about our, our uh, agencies with your listeners. Excellent. Thanks.
0: So, Bryson, um, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to be in this branch of government and Paul and after Bryson. I'd love for you to do that as well.
1: Um, you know, I, I came to uh, to to the Small Business Administration when I got out of graduate school. Um, I was kind of a late. A late graduate school attendee, I worked for a long time uh, before going back to school. I studied uh, international finance uh, at UC San Diego, and I guess I got interested in it. I was living in Central America and um, it, living in a in you know a, a really closed economy where people don't really benefit from trade. Things are very expensive uh, there relative to the United States, and it it really uh, brought it home to me how important it is um, to to help people get access to, to goods from, uh, from overseas and how much it can improve their lives. So that's really sort of what got me going on this path. And SBA has been a great vehicle for, um, for helping people in this regard. Awesome. How about you, Paul?
2: Well, I've been doing this now for 42 years, and I started uh, straight after graduate school from Thunderbird. And uh, at that time, I got to, right before Thunderbird, I went around the world. Uh, my father worked for Trans World Airlines and was able to go in the summer for $199 around the world. And this was the time during the Vietnam War and traveling around, getting ready to graduate. I saw that you know we need to learn how to deal with people from different cultures, business, environment, history, and that attracted me to the international. I found Thunderbird at that time was the only school in the world for international business, graduated from there, and started working for the Department of Commerce. And since that time, I've been in Kansas City, Omaha, St. Louis, Washington, Romania, and now Denver. A total of 32 countries traveled, worked, visited, lived in, in my 42 years. So it's been a very, very good career, and uh, enjoy working for the U.S. Department of Commerce and the State Department in the past, and helping companies find overseas markets and make the sales and getting paid.
0: Mm, That's wonderful. So I'm going to just take a quick detour here because, Paul, what you were saying just sparked this question in me. We have all sorts of questions that we're going to be asking and talking about. But what do you think has changed the most? I mean, you probably have the most incredible perspective on this. So when you first started to now, like what hits you as, oh, my gosh, this is so different.
2: The speed and the correspondence and the communications. It used to be you'd have to write a letter take a couple of weeks to get over there, they write back another couple of weeks. So you're looking at months, it's sometimes the correspondence and at that time uh, before the internet, uh, the, even the fax machine and the phone calls weren't that good. And so today you're in instant communication. Example yesterday, I was talking to uh, my counterpart in Sydney, Australia on the phone and I needed to send her an email and I sent it to her and she had it in about 30 seconds. And just the speed of the communications today is just uh, help speed up the whole process and the uh, ability for companies, individuals to do business around the world almost
0: 24-7. Right, I that's so exciting, isn't it? It almost feels like one big world now versus these silos, if you will. It's really great. So I'm going to jump into some of our original questions um, for us and tell our listeners kind of about the Small Business Administration. I know most of them have heard about it, but I don't know that we all completely understand what exactly the SBA does.
1: Sure. The Small Business Administration, um, you know, we've been around since uh, 1953 um and you know we are a resource for businesses no matter what stage they're in um they can come to the SBA or one of our grant uh grant partners we call them resource partners um to get assistance and that could be you know figuring out how to open a business what do i need to do as far as you know filing a uh uh um a permit with the state how do i hire employees um all this kind of stuff is is available through our counseling resources um and then I think SBA is probably best known for the SBA loan. Uh, SBA provides loan guarantees to banks so that they're encouraged to make loans to small businesses. So, you know, if a, if a business comes in the door, um, it's a good business, but, and I always joke with my colleagues, you know, SBA is the butt agency. Um, you know, what? It, there's everything's good, but, and it's but prior bankruptcy but the business is kind of new but the business is growing very quickly there's some reason there there's a there's an issue that the bank is hesitant to make that loan and so they can come to sba sba will guarantee um typically 50 to 75 percent of the loan amount um and that's a guarantee to the bank so if the if the deal goes bad business can't pay the bank can come to the to the uh small business administration and we'll uh make them partially whole. Uh, The good thing about working on the export programs um, is that SBA can provide 90% guarantees to the lenders in the cases where the small business is an exporter. Um, So that incentivizes the lender even more to, you know, go out on the limb and take a chance with the business. Um, I should say that uh, SBA charges a fee for that guarantee. It's about three, three and a half percent typically. Um, and that fee actually funds our losses. So, um, you know, here's SBA. We're an agency. We're doing about twenty billion dollars a year in loan guarantees for the most marginal small business borrowers. Um, and that three percent fee is, uh, ensures that we're able to do that without any cost to the taxpayer. Um, and like I said, SBA is there for for every phase of a business. So from when they first start to when they're going international. Um, you know, that's, and and that's, you know, that's sort of the agency in a nutshell.
0: Mm, That's really interesting. Now this is, I want to make sure that our listeners understand what would qualify a company. So it's not international companies coming in. This is us companies to go abroad. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so you know we're um, we're able to offer our loan programs with with zero subsidy, with no with no money coming from the taxpayers. But uh, we are a U.S. government agency, so our mission is to assist U.S. companies um, and uh, helping them to get into new markets overseas, and just helping them to grow and and hire more more Americans.
0: Mm, that makes sense, um, Paul. Tell us a little bit about the U.S. Commerce Department and some of the things that. Um, and you know, maybe even tell the story about how this came about, and and what the big initiatives are, and the kind of the reason that this was this branch was developed. All right, thank you, Anka.
2: Um, I don't know if I can really tell you how it started. It started before me, believe it or not, but the Commerce Department's been around as a cabinet agency for a number of years, and a little historical fact, the building in Washington, the Herbert Hoover Building, was the largest building in Washington until the Pentagon. And Commerce sometimes is known as Noah's Ark, but we only have one of everything. So under the Department of Commerce, we have the International Trade Administration, the Patent and Trademark Office, we have the Census Bureau, we have economic development, uh, the statistics side of uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis, and uh, the Weather Bureau, forgot the biggest one, National Technical Information Service. So it it's covers a lot of things under the U.S. Department of Commerce, and then you drill down to the International Trade Administration, which I'm part of, and then it splits to the Washington folks, And then the overseas side, the United States Foreign Commercial Service, and then to the domestic field, which I'm a part of, the Commercial Service. So we have over 90 offices around the world at the U.S. embassies and consulates, and we have about 110 offices here in the United States, in almost every state. And so we're one of the few agencies, really other than Department of Defense, that have offices overseas, and throughout the United States. So we are in very close contact with our customers, the U.S. business persons, to uh, work with them and try to get them into the international market. And we're always looking for new companies. And uh, we have a lot of different programs that we'll discuss, I'm sure, throughout the uh, program today, but helping them find an agent distributor, a credit check, uh, whatever they're looking for. Not that we can do it all, but we like to think we're the hub of the wheel, the international, and you can come to us, ask us the questions, and if we don't know it, we can get the information from our counterparts at the U.S. embassies overseas, or in Washington, or other partners such as the states, international offices, the World Trade Center, uh, different chambers of commerce, other consulates, and we all work together as a team trying to help the U.S. companies sell their products, services around the world.
0: So then in the specific group that you're working with, how what, you know what is that focus?
2: Well, I'm the director for Colorado and Wyoming. I have five senior trade specialists and one foreign service officer, and that is in my office that reports directly to me. We cover Colorado and Wyoming, and we do it a little bit different. We divide the trade specialists up by industries. So one trade specialist has aerospace and defense, the export licensing side. Uh, another one has renewable energy, another one has medical products, uh, franchising. And so we divide it up. And we've done that probably over the last 15 years and that has really given our trade specialists a lot of credibility with the industry because now they're able to go in and talk to that company in that industry with some expertise and training that we provided to them. Instead of being very generalist, well, let's talk about selling your product into 250 countries around the world. We come in with some knowledge of the product, the service, and also where best in the world to sell that product to. So usually have a pretty good reception from U.S. companies. Just a side note, in 42 years, I've only been kicked out of two companies, so that's not too bad being a federal (laughs) employee. But I go in and say, hey, you know, I'll listen for five or 10 minutes. If you're not interested, I'm gone. Most all the time that turns into an hour and they say, you know, you're one of the few government agencies that I've ever met that try to help me sell my product and make money.
0: Right, right, that makes perfect sense. How do you approach companies now? You search them out or do they mostly come to you? Do you have any sort of a, an outreach marketing effort, if you will, to try to find more companies? Or I'm just curious how, um, how you approach that.
2: Historically, and even today, we, we say that we're one of the best kept secrets in the U.S. government. But, you know, that, that's an old cliche. We would like to go out and do more cold calling, which we used to do, but there isn't time. Most of the referrals, most of the inquiries come in from referrals from uh, the congressional offices, trade offices, state offices, and other companies saying, you know, I was working, and the Department of Commerce helped me out on this, you ought to give them a call. Uh, I would say the trend really is becoming more and more that the inquiries are coming over the internet. They did a Google search and U.S. Department of Commerce, Export Administration in Denver, Colorado comes up and we get those calls, can you help us? We have a product that we like to sell or we've got this inquiry in from Lebanon. What do we do with it?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always surprising because we we have a number of companies that are using our services and they don't realize the great things that you have. And so I, I completely appreciate that best kept secret so because we're always recommending that as well and that's why you know we want to do this podcast because we want to make sure that people have all of this wonderful support and that they understand how to access it and what is the best way so again if you're saying most people are coming through the internet is there a a form to fill out and then do they get assigned a person that can navigate them through or are they really looking do they have to kind of find exactly the Types of people that can help them, you know, how does that process work?
2: We sure like to do all that, but uh, really they call up or they, they send us an email. I talk to them or they come into the office and I match them up with our trade specialist and uh, the trade specialist follows up with them. We're not that uh, bureaucratic, heavy on all these forms and fill up. We have enough forms, but they—they they, yesterday a person gave us a call on a kind of like a lightning eliminator, sits up on uh, radio antennas. And they call me and I talk to them, put them in touch with our trade specialist that handles that sector. They called them that afternoon. And so now they're in contact, uh, trying to figure out where that good market is for them and how to get them into that market.
0: Mm. Are the services um, free from the government or are there also services that would be paid?
2: Uh, our time in counseling with the company is free. As I say, we only collect once a year on April 15th, so most mm-hmm. companies pay that bill quite heavily. But uh, our time going into the embassy for a briefing, that is all free. Trying to find an agent overseas to do some credit checks or a trade show, some of us, our services uh, we do charge for. But the main thing that we can bring that very few people can is our expertise in counseling, and that is free.
0: That's wonderful. And again, we've got to make sure that companies take advantage of that. Completely great. All right. So we're going to jump over to SBA. So if there's a funding need, are there business um, like, what does your perfect customer look like, Rison? Is it, are there really some ca- characteristics or parameters, if you will, that you have to meet? Because you were saying something about that you're not really too big or too small, but what are some things that make for, you know, kind of that right customer for uh, an SBA, especially uh, some more of a global perspective, lending?
1: Sure. Um- yeah. So, I mean, we're the small business administration, so uh, they've got to be a small business. Um, and, and what is that? It's it's surprisingly general, uh, generous, I think. Um, uh, typically a business, if they've got say $15 million uh, in total assets um, or less, and they've got less than $5 million in net profit, um, they're going to be a small business. Uh, you know, so, sometimes um, we can go, Larger, you know, for example, uh, if you're an aircraft manufacturer um, and you've got less than 1,500 employees, we would consider you small. Um, again, you need to be a U.S. business. Um, so even if you're a small business that's, you know, owned by uh, Bechtel or something like that, no, you, that, that wouldn't count. you got to be a, a, an independent small business. So, um, so anyway, so that, that's sort of the requirement. Uh, as far as what the right business is, um, you know, I think that, uh, and Paul would probably agree, probably used to be able to say, look, you need to have, you know, domestic substantial domestic sales. And then we know that you're ready, uh, to, to start looking to Canada or Mexico or something like that. But, you know, today with, um, with the internet, uh, what I find is, um, you know, even, you know, small companies, uh, get requests from, from buyers overseas. So, you know, I don't think there's like, you can say, look, you need to be active, um, domestically really even to be ready to export. So, um, it's something that's gotta be on your radar screen when you're opening a business, you know, depending on your product, maybe right from day one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so no, no business is, is really too small. Um, I've worked with, you know, I work with a lot of, one man, one woman shops. And, uh, and so, you know, helping them to figure out, okay, what do I need to do as far as financing my exports? Um, What sort of methods of payment do I need to be considering? You know, that's, that's what we're here to help with, um, you know, really no matter how small the business is.
0: What I think is really important about the SBA in addition to obviously the, you know, the, ability to loan, you know, across a lot of different businesses is really just that you are, you do understand what it's like to go international. You do support companies that do that. A lot of the banks that companies work with are not, right? So they find that they do a great job within their kind of local environment. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you get these inquiries or you find these opportunities. And then you realize that all of these partners that you have in place, whether it's your funding sources, whether it's your legal sources or your HR sources, they no longer have that expertise and they can no longer support you, right? So that's, is that usually the trigger that you find for the kind of the international outreach is really that they've found that the banks really can't help them?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, a lot of the people who are calling me, they're calling, you know, they're calling me because they've got an issue finding financing for their business. Um, and that sort of motivated them to get online and, and start looking around and asking questions. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I tell the people that I talk to, look, you know, you need to, you need to build an, a team and you know, a lot of small businesses, uh, they're familiar with this, you know, and they need, they understand they need to have those expertise on board. Um, you know, for example, a lot of times a business is using an accountant to to help them do their taxes. Um, and they're doing that as a small business, but as they get larger, they realize, you know, I need a different accountant who understands, uh, inventory management and how to account for that because now I have a warehouse and I have inventory. And so as the business grows, you need to, you need to have a team that, that can support you and has those expertise that you need, but then you also may need to supplement that team. And, um, you know, uh, so on the, on the finance side, um, I think the most important thing is having a banker that's excited about your business and they're willing to work with you. And that, and that's sort of the key player on the finance side. I, I consider myself a, a player on that team as well, because I'm able to provide some advice and point people in the right direction. Um, but, but going back to your question, you know, oftentimes people do call, you know, I'm trying to get a letter of credit. I went into my local, uh, the local branch of my bank. They don't know anything about letters of credit from Taiwan. You know, I need some help with this. And sometimes it's as as simple as saying, look, you know, you're going into your branch, you're talking to the wrong person. Here's the guy at your bank who handles letters of credit and just getting the business plugged into that individual. And sometimes that requires changing banks. Um, you know, it, it's amazing some, what the small banks can do now in the digital world. Uh, they've got relationships with larger banks that enable them to do, um, you know, cross-border money transfers, um, letters of credit, that kind of stuff. Um, so, I, so I always uh, emphasize, look, it's important to have the right partner, the right team, team player in your lender, um, and then secondarily, the institution that can assist you. Um, you know, whether that's a, a a regional bank or a national bank, even a local bank or an international bank sort of depends on, on your business, um, the size of your business, what you're doing. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things I can help people with is just talking to them about their business and figuring out, you know, have you talked to, to these different people at these banks? I think that it would be worth a conversation.
0: Mm, Excellent. Let's go into some specific stories. You don't have to say names or companies, but I would love for each of you to share some examples so that people really understand how they can work with your teams um, and how it can solve their problems. So Paul, tell us about, um, do you have some, are there certain companies that are more likely to work with you? So for example, product companies versus digital tech companies, you know, are they, just because it's much harder to do import export typically, so is that, you know, do you see that that's more common? Then tell us about like, okay, when they first come to you, what, how do you usually approach it? What are some of, you know, tell us a story about how they then use your services to help their, grow their business.
2: All right, uh, to follow up kind of on the, what you were asking Bryson about the perfect customer, I don't, everybody can be the perfect customer for us and I've seen so many and of course when I started coming out of Thunderbird I thought I knew everything and then I learned very quickly that I didn't really know much at all and uh, I've learned over the years that I'm, I'm open to anybody walking in the door because there is a possibility for that product or service to be sold there may be somebody in the world that wants to buy that uh, an example uh, somebody came into the office and they said what is this product and it was a nose hair trimmer. And we said, well, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound too uh, exciting or sexy. Well, we talked to him about it with his background. We found out about the culture. It's a big seller into the Middle East. You know, we, we got in there. Uh, another one that I had, and I'll mention the name because I worked with them and I don't think they mind the publicity, is Kong. I don't know if you have – do you have a dog or a pet? Mm-hmm. All right. Have you ever seen that Kong uh, where they bite on it to chew it or things like that?
0: I have seen it.
2: Okay. Well, he came in to me, Joe Markham, probably about 20, 25 years ago, and he said, I'd like to export it. And I said, what is this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a piece of rubber. And he said, well, it's for guard dogs. And guard dogs, the only thing they have to chew on are rocks, stones, stones. tree limbs, things like that. So they wear down their uh, teeth and they're not very good guard dogs after that. So he developed this hard rubber so that they can bite it and it gives them the sense of that they're chewing on something but it doesn't destroy their teeth. And he says, I want to export it. I said, well, all right, tell me more. make a long story short, he had a friend in the UK who was a veterinarian. So we got some of the product together, shipped them over there to test it in uh, the UK. They really liked it. And uh, from that, fast forward today, they're in about 60 different countries. They have over 100 workers, and they're all here in Colorado, where he started out of his garage when he came in. Uh, another one that I learned very quickly came in with a little sign uh, Do not dig buried cable. I said, Well, that isn't real high tech, uh, but tell me about it. Well, he just recently came out of the Middle East. They were always tearing up the cables over there. So got in touch with the Minister, Ministry of Communication, got their logo, their, their emblem, and put it on there with their approval. And in Arabic on one side, English on the other, do not dig bury cable and he's producing 50,000 of these out of his basement, selling them into the Middle East. And we can fast forward to you know the major companies uh, that are multinational, global around the world. And I asked him one time when I was out there to a very large chemical company, and I said, why do you see me? You have people all over the world. And he said, well, i like to talk to you because you're bringing me different information that I don't always see. And international marketing is like a big puzzle. And I get a piece here and there. And so I hear what our people are telling me. But when you come in with a report and you say that market and that chemical sector is growing 30%, and our people are only telling me 10 I want to find out what the difference is and what our people are doing over there. And so, from an individual to multinationals, they see the value of our expertise and what we can bring to the table.
0: Absolutely. So, let's take that apart a little bit. So, what, you know, you had mentioned research. So, that would be one. Um, I would imagine, you know, again, the knowledge and expertise that you've gotten there, but do you build plans? Do you create, you know, I'm just trying to understand and help people understand all the specific things. Or just having someone, is it really more of a consulting session um, that they can meet with? You also, I believe, have these international trade missions, right? So maybe you share a little bit about some of the ways that you kind of provide this help.
2: Right, um, we don't really, develop a marketing plan and hand it to them. We talk to them. Most of the time the lead comes in, I have this inquiry, how do I sell this product to this person and get paid? So they already have where they want to go. Not all the time, but most of the time. So we work with them to get that product service sold in that uh, country to that customer and to get paid. They say, well, you know, where else should we go? So We like to go and work with that company and get them into one or two markets for the next year. You know, it's not real easy to uh, just say, okay, I want to start exporting. It takes some time to get into it and to research it. And if you do it properly, you'll have less bad debts internationally than you do domestically because you have to go through these different steps and you do a credit check. You find out who you're doing business. You just don't uh, ship open account and hope to get paid in 30 days. So uh our plan is developed with the company uh in talking with them. Now we're moving in the new direction with some new things coming out to become more of a consulting company and more of uh working with them and developing a blueprint for their marketing program. And so we're working on that now. That'll be a little more formal where in the past Uh, It's just one-on-one and then we do the research, talk to the different people overseas and what we can develop from our sources. There is a program from the U.S. Embassy Commercial Service, the best prospects in an individual country, say India, Bangladesh, wherever. And so we can see if that product is in there, uh, specific markets research in there. We can go back to that uh, individual who wrote the report you also may search it in Washington. So you have about 250 countries around the world that you could export to. So you wanna narrow that down to what interests you, where's the best opportunity, try to get two to five companies, countries and work on that and develop that. You, know, you can't do too much more because it'll bring the whole system down because it changes the whole company and their outlook. So the marketing upfront where to go is very, very important. Then we have trade missions as a possibility. We just had one that the Secretary of Commerce recruited for along with the President of the United States to Hanover Mesa. We had 450 companies participate in that trade show in Hanover, Germany. It's one of the largest trade shows in the world. And uh, so the opportunities for those companies to meet people from all over the world was fantastic. Uh, There's other shows. from the trade shows that we all know about for different industries, where I've done several with the Colorado wine industry here in Colorado virtually. And we sent the wine up to uh, our office in Vancouver. We invited the people in Vancouver to come down and taste the wine. We hooked up Uh, with the video conference and the wine people here in Colorado were telling the people in Vancouver what they were tasting and about it. And uh, so there's, you know, we're making use of the technology and we've done some recordings of, uh, not recordings, but uh, video hookups with uh, companies interviewing potential agents and distributors from our office. So um, your imagination is only your limit. And so we're working and trying to do different things. That's
0: exciting. What, um, what do each of you think are kind of the biggest challenges that companies run into when they do business abroad, you know, from your perspective? Like, what do you see as just kind of this, this hurdle that they have to overcome? And if you could give someone some advice, just this quick tip of, hey, you're going to run into this, this is going to be your challenge be aware, you know, what would each of you, Bryce, do you want to start with that?
1: Sure. Um, You know, I think that as we discussed, whenever you're going internationally, it sort of adds a layer of complexity to every aspect of the business, Um, you know, to obviously to the shipping. And I think that that's an important one also to the accounting, to the finance, to the marketing uh, even to the production, right. You might need to change your product slightly to, uh, to appeal to a different market and a different culture. Um, so, you know, as I was saying, you really want to have a team and you want to, you know, get the right skills for, for all of those aspects. Um, but I think my bias is towards the finance side. So, um, so I think that that is one of the most difficult and different, uh, challenges that you'll face, you know, as a domestic company, um, you know, if you're selling your product to the guy down the block and he doesn't pay you, you know, you can go knock on his door, you can call him, you can hire a lawyer and sue him. There's all these, you know, you've got a lot of options on the table because we're living under this sort of in the same country under the same uh, legal umbrella but you know have that same situation except uh, change the guy down the street to um to somebody in you know who knows korea or indonesia or germany or, or wherever it is you know if if somebody stiffed you in one of those countries for you know fifty thousand dollars are you going to hire a lawyer? Are you going to go over there and try and collect? I mean, it it the level of complexity is is much higher. And so, I spend my time uh, focusing, you know, working with companies on this very issue. You know, how can we secure payment? How can we make sure that when we ship this product, that we will get paid? And um, you know, the 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 first thing you say, well, let's just get paid before we ship it. And sure, that's great, but now we've just reversed the situation where, you know, you've got um, you know, now now this you're asking your, your customer overseas to send you money. They don't know if they're going to get the product or not. Um, and so, uh, fortunately, there's been over the centuries a number of, uh, of different solutions to this problem that have been developed. Uh, but, you know, if you did business purely domestically, you wouldn't really be familiar with those. Um, and uh, so, anyway, so I think that's, that's a challenge. And so, I always encourage people to, you know, learn about that. And I'm here to help them do that.
0: Excellent. How about for you, Paul, what do you see uh, from your perspective in your business? What are the things and the tips that you would give a company and what they're going to run into from challenges?
2: Well, first, they, they have to have the management team on board. That starts at the top, the CEO, the president, whatever, that they really want to commit time money and effort to this because it's going to take a a period of time and some money to do this so you have to have the commitment of the top management to to go along then to develop the team all together and as bryson mentioned the accountants you've got to get them on board you have the legal you have to get your lawyers on board your marketing people and everyone because at any step one of those people can be a big roadblock to a company selling their products overseas. So it's a learning process for the whole company. And you have to develop this team internally. And what I tell a lot of companies is, look and see what you have on the floor out in the production area or in the sales area. You probably will have people that come from other countries or families That are non US. And so they may be able to provide some basic information. Then, through either your Rolodex or new, you know, your iPhone, your contact list, a list of people from the freight forwarding side, the banking side, the government side, uh, federal, state, trade association, that you can reach out when there's a problem coming up. Where do you go to seek that answer? and uh, as you go along you find out who you can call and who you won't call so it's a whole team process Uh, also if you're just starting out and you're looking at an export management company somebody to run it because you don't have the time the expertise and you want somebody else to do that there are companies that are around that uh, can do that but beware of them because if somebody comes up and says i can handle your product worldwide hold on to your wallet or purse. Nobody has that expertise. You look for people who have the industry expertise, the individual country or region, but uh, it's very hard for anybody to cover the whole world.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it is a very big challenge. What about, so one of the things, we just wrote an article about it and I had touched on this earlier, is, is I firmly believe that once a company is online, they are a global company. Whether they, you know, like that or not, all of a sudden all of the opportunities of being global and all of the challenges of being global, which would include competitive set, everything becomes broader. In other words, if your you know pricing is set based on just what's in your region, but yet your customers are going to or prospects will look all around the world to see what the pricing is. And one of the areas that's very hit by that, for example, would be like web development or mobile development or design or, um, you know, really, you know, supply chain development, all of those things are now a global, um, are global now, you know, you don't, just get to put your walls up. You have to figure out how to become global and how to think about being global and how to compete being global and being intentional about that. Have you seen a lot of those things, You know, are companies that you're talking to recognizing that, that they really don't almost have a choice anymore of being global? It's just a matter of whether they're going to be, you know, like I said, intentional about it or whether they're just going to allow it to happen to them. Um, Thoughts on that, you know, Bryson and Paul. Maybe start with you, Bryson, again.
1: You know, uh, I, I think that that's true. I think we're becoming, you know, the the world is becoming increasingly global, but it's not new. New. I mean, I think that uh, you know, if you went down to Walmart in uh, 1995 uh, and looked at the products on the shelves, you would see, you know, if you're if you're you know if you go to the section where your where your stuff is, wow, you know, I'm I'm competing with Com- with, uh, companies from all over the world today at my Walmart right down the street and so it's a question of okay so I'm competing in my own backyard with foreign competition am I going to take that challenge and you know what let's go compete with them in their backyard too um, and, uh, and so I think companies you know sure we're, we're doing it here in, the, in this country let's go do it overseas as well and, and compete with them there
0: mm-hmm. how about you Paul what do you think about that
2: well, we've two thoughts. One, we we started a new uh, group together, e-commerce. So we're looking at that, trying to develop internally where we're going to do how we can help these companies, you know, into this uh, new world of international business. But some statistics—it's not a hundred percent, but just some broad statistics about we say somewhere around seventy percent of U.S. manufacturers do not export. It may be 80, it may be 60, but just to give you some general numbers, 70% do not export. Of that 30 plus percent that do export, 90% of all those companies make up one to 10%. And so the companies that are exporting really are a small number. So just going to the existing companies and trying to get them involved, interested in it, and showing them that they can do it, that's that's still a full-time job. I think the new generation coming in are a little more aware of the world opportunities through the internet and things like that. And because the internet, we could be sitting here in uh, a basement or 30-story tower, and you can go anywhere in the world and sell that product or service. But it's still a, a ways to uphill climb for us to get out to the people, let them know that there are assistance and partners financing available for them. And so we're always looking you know, to develop that network of partners and to get that out to our customers and let them know whether they're like in Colorado and Parachute Colorado, uh, Alameda, you have uh, different groups from the Small Business Development Centers to Workforce Centers and the Entrepreneur Centers things like that, that have the expertise to help them. So it's an ongoing full-time job.
1: And I'll say also, um, you know, it, the, the world is globalizing, um, but companies need, need to look at, the glo- at globalization from a global perspective. And um, I think oftentimes I, I run into companies and they've moved some manufacturing to Asia uh, to, to save, you know, you know, ten percent on 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 their cost of production, and then they do, what they don't realize is now they've now they've made their inventory unfinanceable by a U.S. bank, um, and so that so now they're now they're trying to finance their inventory in a country where interest rates are you know ten or twelve percent. So so they've you know they've solved they solved one problem, but they've created a larger problem, um, and so it's a challenge for managers to you know to really look at okay. You know how is this decision going to affect other aspects of my company um, and, uh, and and so yeah so so it it is it's difficult for C- ceos and cfos uh, people who are in charge of organizations to really take into consideration all the moving parts when it comes to to global business
0: my bad i think it's such a complex process and i think that's why having all of the different support systems and knowledge bases and experts to really kind of surround you and vet these things and think through these things before they do it is is really key and then certainly through the process as well so is there anything that i didn't ask that you think our listeners must know about um i'm going to ask each of you that same question bryson
1: um gosh what didn't you ask <laughs> what do what do we need to know that we don't know
2: um i might punt that one to paul okay. uh, i'll help bryson out <laughs> that the first thing that companies individuals have to remember there are no stupid questions you know well i really feel ignorant you know i, I should know this and that no we were all at that point at one time and so uh, i view it kind of as an old school saying of fraternity a sorority once you can get into it, you're into it for life. You meet these people around the world. You may do business with them today, maybe not tomorrow, but they're still friends. And everybody tries to work together to um, help each other in, the, in selling their products because nobody has uh, all the answers. As I said earlier, to me, international marketing is like a big puzzle. You get a piece here and there, but you never get all of them. So you have to develop that uh, Rolodex, that contact list on your iPhone, whatever, to uh, reach out to people. And as I said, there are no dumb questions. We've all been at that point, and uh, you need to get past that and reach out and uh, say, hey, how can you help me? Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: that's a great point. Yeah, you know, I would say for both of you, I think that you know anyone that wants to learn more, anyone that's considering it, you know, definitely reach out to these gentlemen. And while we do that, tell us how best for them to reach out so that they can reach
1: you each sure i mean we we take emails and phone calls uh so you know you can get me bryson b-r-y-s-o-n dot patterson p-a-t-t-e-r-s-o-n at s-b-a dot g-o-v you can give me a call 303-844-6622 uh while i'm plugging it i'd like to recommend um our website www.sba.gov and um, we've actually got a great tool on there it's called the export business planner um, which is just the website a uh, slash export business planner and um, it, it's a good tool for people who are getting started they're looking to uh, you know figure out what is my landed cost how much is how much do I need to charge for this product um, you know in in Turkey or in uh, or, or uh, in Ethiopia and um, so anyway, so yeah, just give us a call, send us an email, check out our website. Um, we're happy to happy to respond, Paul.
2: You know. My my email is Paul, P-A-U-L bergman, B is in boy, E-R-G-M-A-N at trade, t-r-a-d-e.gov, G-O-V. Our website is export.gov. My phone number, 303-844-6001. 303 303- Eight four four six zero zero one, And going into export.gov, you can search by industry, you can search by country, whatever you're looking for. It's a great resource. And One of the things that they have on there, it's called a basic guide to exporting. There's also something called basic guide to importing, but no US government agency will really help you import products into the country. So you look at the basic guide of exporting, all the questions you didn't know to ask. You could teach a class on international marketing out of that publication. So that's on there. A lot of free information, as I said, top 10 markets in India, Spain, whatever, Uh, best prospects, uh, cultural aerograms uh, about the culture, how to do business over there. If people are traveling overseas, they should contact us. We could set up briefings at the embassy for them. We work very closely with the U.S. State Department where we're not represented. So there's a lot of avenues through the U.S. government and uh, you could probably do a full hour program on just the number of different federal government agencies that are involved in international. But the Small Business Administration and the U.S. Department of Commerce along with the State Department are your main agencies for international business and helping our U.S customers
0: absolutely and the resources are really really excellent so we want to make sure that everyone does do that and that's a great place to start gentlemen I want to thank you both for joining us today on the go global go big podcast powered by Globig join us next time for another really great podcast on international expansion. this is Anka Corbin, hoping that you all go global and go big thank you